the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. In a few moments, I'm going to be speaking from our Bible passage this morning, which is to Peter. But before that, uh, we are going to watch a video. So, um, it, could you uh, take a look at the screens and see what you think? Faith, like Robbie up there. Look at Robbie. He's a faith head, floating around, unsupported by anything. No, Sally simply goes by the evidence and the assured findings of science and reason. I mean, obviously Sally believes that all people are equal. That's just normal. And that society must protect its weakest members. Obviously. She is certain that consent is essential to sex, and that education, not coercion, is the path to enlightenment. She trusts science and what it can deliver the world. She is certain that all people should be free. And she's concerned to reform the evils of yesterday as we progress to a brighter tomorrow. Oh, hey, Robbie, what are you doing down here? That's right. Sally is a believer. Because none of these morals, assumptions, or deep intuitions are the result of logic or scientific experiments. You can't prove equality, compassion, consent, or any of these values that we live by every day. We believe in these values. We stake our lives on them. But they're not the kinds of things you can deduce logically or demonstrate scientifically. It turns out that Sally is a believer. She doesn't need to make a leap of faith. She's already living at a great height. Day by day, minute by minute, she assumes any number of values that cannot be proven with mathematical certainty. The solid ground she thinks she's standing on is not the ground of simple logic or reason. Actually, the values she lives by are founded on something else, something she might not have considered. And without that foundation, the values she lives by don't really make sense. You see, Sally lives her life based on the values of the Jesus revolution. She doesn't know that's where her values have come from. She's never been to church. She's never read the Bible for herself. But she's grown up in a culture built by Jesus and the values he has injected into the world. Sally has been assuming some deeply Christian truths all along, even if she never really examined them. But if she takes the time to look where she's standing, she might just find that she's more of a person of faith than she thought. Sally's challenge is not to take a leap of faith. Through the Jesus revolution, history has already taken an almighty leap. Sally, along with the rest of us, are already in midair. What she needs is some ground beneath her feet. And it's Jesus alone who can provide it. That's the argument of the air we breathe. It charts the advance of the Jesus revolution from Genesis to the modern day and from equality to progress. It's for the Robbies of the world who are happy to be known as believers. And it's for the Sallies too, for those who thought that they were incapable of faith. It turns out that through Jesus and the growth of his movement, beliefs are far more common than we think. They are the air we breathe. Well, good morning, Sallies. Good morning, Robbies. My name is Simon. Uh, I certainly would have considered myself a Sally at one point in time, someone who would have been incapable of faith. I wonder what you made of that video. You are so welcome here this morning. Uh, whether you are curious or committed, 
whether you are skeptical or whether you are sold. It's delightful to have you with us this morning. Uh, I hope you found that little clip intriguing. I know I did. It's just making the simple point that if you've been born and raised in a broadly Western culture, I certainly have, then some of our deepest intuitions and values aren't self-evident, but have come to us via the Jesus revolution. So the argument is really simple. Love him, hate him, or if you're simply indifferent to him, the teachings of Jesus are part of the air we breathe. Now, if you would like to puzzle over that some more, I thought Baptism Sunday would be a great Sunday to do some giveaways. I've got a stack of copies of the book referred to in that video, which is called The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. Now, if you would like to puzzle over that some more, I would be glad to give you a copy, whether you're a Sally or a Robbie, whether you consider yourself a Christian, an atheist, a pagan, or a Jedi Knight, you would be welcome to, to grab a copy off me at the end. You just have to promise to read it, okay? All right, so we'll, we'll go for that in, uh, at the end. I'll remind you. Now, we're going to take a look this morning, uh, not at a Sally or a Robbie, but at a Peter. I want to introduce you to Simon Peter, the Apostle Peter. We'll be opening the Bible and we're going to be reading 250 words that have been penned by him. They were some of the last words that he ever wrote. And he wrote them to churches across the Mediterranean, particularly in southern Turkey. He wrote from Rome around the AD 64 to 68. This stuff really happened. These are real words written by the Apostle Peter before he died. This is the Rome of Emperor Nero and the philosopher Seneca. These words come from one of the key leaders of the early church just prior to his own execution, which was by, if tradition is correct, crucifixion, just like the Lord Jesus. We've got a thing or two we could probably learn from Peter. So we're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Before we do that, let me pray as we read God's word. Almighty God, your word is perfect. May it refresh our souls today. Your word is trustworthy. May it bring us wisdom today. Your word is right. May it bring joy to our hearts today. Your word is radiant. May it bring us light today. We praise you for giving these very great and precious promises to us in the Bible. May they bear fruit in this church, we pray. Amen. So let's Take a look together at 2 Peter chapter 1. It's at the back of the Bible if you are using a paper copy. If you've hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, if you are looking on your phone, then it should be relatively trivial to find, I think. So, oh, let's see how I get on with the clicker. It was a different clicker. I had a tech problem this morning. So I've got my work laptop over there, dangerously near a large body of water. <laughs> let's see how we get on. Right. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance 
through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance. To perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Well, this is Simon Peter, His name, when he was born, wasn't actually Peter. His name was Simon, just like me. Jesus gave him a new name, Peter. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with Simon. uh, But he just, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, he he doesn't go into it. He uh, He mentioned that he would like to call this man Peter. This is Peter, who opposed Jesus uh, as... He, that is Jesus, insisted he must go to Jerusalem and be crucified. This is Peter, who rashly promised unwavering loyalty to Jesus. This is Peter, who then literally denied knowing Jesus. He was impulsive, insecure, self-centered. Yet upon this rock, Jesus would build his church. As an apostle, an eyewitness, a teacher, and a leader... He, Peter, had known profound transformation in his life, as deep a transformation as having been given a new name, a new identity. That's the offer that Jesus makes. And Peter here, he writes uh, to the faithful. He says in verses one and two, hi, notice how he describes faith or believing. Take a look. At verses 1 and 2. He writes, not to those who've taken a great leap of faith, but to those who've received faith. Not a great leap, but something you receive. You see, for Peter, faith isn't about our ability to leap, but God's ability to give. He writes, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received faith. And what's that faith like? That faith is as precious as ours, Peter writes. That stunning that you've got to spot this. 
that the great apostle Peter, the rock upon whom the church is built, when it comes to faith, your faith and mine, he says it's of equal worth with his own, equal value, equal preciousness as the faith of those very first believers. If you're like me, you probably have perhaps a little bit of a, uh, a golden days kind of view of the New Testament era. That was the amazing time when they did a wonderful things. They were special and we are not. Peter says, the faith you have, if you believe in Jesus today, is as precious as his own. And the God who gives a faith as precious as the apostles gives way, way more. Check out verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. He gives new identity. He gives faith. He gives grace and peace in abundance. He's the father of kindness. He's good. He gives and he's good. Here he is giving grace and peace in abundance to those who know Jesus. And you might well have picked up in those first few verses, we've, we're accumulating some titles of the Lord Jesus as well. Have you spotted some of those? Saviour, Lord, God, Christ. Those are some of just the very key questions that we were asking Amanda in the pool. Do you remember that? Just a few moments ago, we were asking, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Saviour and your Lord, as your God? That's who Jesus is. Saviour. Lord, God. It's repeated in our passage a number of times. But let's not skip this. We get introduced to this big repeated phrase throughout our passage. And I think if you're anything like me, you might have an academic allergic reaction to this phrase. Knowledge. Knowledge appears five times in our passage this morning. And here's what I think your instinct is. If it's like mine, you have that academic allergic reaction, you think knowledge, that sounds a bit like physics and facts. This isn't knowledge like physics and facts. This is knowledge like I know a close friend, a family member. Knowing Jesus. That's what it's all about. Well, let's carry on and take a look at verses 3 and 4. He develops his argument. So this is just him just saying hi. He wants to tell these Christians, you've been given everything you need. His divine power, that's God's, has given us everything we need for a godly life, for our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The God who gives faith, who gives a new identity, who gives grace and peace in abundance, has given us everything we need. You've got it all. Peter says to these Christians, by his divine power, Jesus' death, his resurrection, his giving of the Spirit, he's given you everything you need. It's worth just listing out what that might look like. What are some of the things that Jesus has given you if you're a follower of him today? A new heart, sins forgiven, sins forgotten, prayers heard, prayers answered, resurrection life, the spirit living within you, hope for the future, wisdom for living in the here and now, a model for suffering, a way through death. There is nothing else needed. He's given you everything you need. There's nothing else coming either. There is no more for heaven now to give. And that's really hard for us to contemplate in our culture, which thinks about all the things that you don't have, all the things that you need to get, all the things that you need to acquire. 
You do not have to be an economist to work out that our society, a capitalist society, is built on the assumption that we don't have all that we need. Fashions, trends, marketing, Amanda, even digital marketing. That's Amanda's master's. They all create within us a lack, a feeling of lack, a feeling of want that we don't have all that we need. Yet God in Jesus has given us all that we need, not for an easy life. What's he given us everything we need for? For a godly life. Did you spot that there? In verse 3. Not for an easy life, not for a pain-free life, not for a successful life. I'd even go for, not even for a happy life, but for a godly life. One that matters, one that means something. He's given you everything you need for a godly life. And that includes, verse 4, his very great and precious promises. Through these, verse 4, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He's given you not only everything you need for a godly life, he's given you the Bible, these very great and precious promises. I wonder what you're going to be doing on the 6th of March. You got any plans? Anyone planning to watch the coronation? He, maybe? Nah, you'll give it a miss? Oh, you're going to. You're going to. You said March. Did I say March? Oh. Yeah, yeah. 6th of March is Monday, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks, church. <laughs> 6th of May, 6th of May, coronation. Here's some words from the coronation service. I haven't checked with our own royal correspondent, Andrew Trezise, whether this particular aspect of the service is going to be covered. Listen to this. This is about the Bible. When you're watching on the 6th of May, see if this comes up. This certainly happened in Queen Elizabeth's coronation. So the moderator of the Church of Scotland takes a Bible from the altar in Westminster, hands it to the new monarch, what's he or she going to say? This book, this book is the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. That's what our future monarch will be presented with. This book is the most valuable thing this world affords. And you've been given that too. Well, hey, God has given us so many things. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through the Lord Jesus. And he's given us his great and precious promises. And promises are about relationships. That's the way in which we know God. We know a person through the promises and the speech, the words that they speak to us. That's how I know Claire. Better and better and better through the promises that she's made to me. And so we have God's promises, his breathed out words of the Bible. Those are the way that we commune with and have relationship with God. We got that last bit there about escaping from the world. Did you spot that? Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It isn't simply that the world is bad. That's not what Christians think at all. That's rubbish. Far from it. That's a complete misreading. It's that all corruption emerges from evil desires. 
Where do they come from? The human hearts at work in the world. The world's no bad thing. But we have escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Well, he's making an argument. He said hi, and he said, you've been given everything you need. What's he going to say next? So, so that, so, why have you been given everything you need? So, for this very reason, verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you, they're going to protect you in some way, from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see the argument, high. You've been given everything you need, so make every effort. You've been given all the equipment for the job, so get on and do it. Now, do you have an equipment friend? Do you have an equipment friend? Someone who's just got loads of kit, loads of equipment. I have a very good equipment friend. I suspect we all have an equipment friend. A friend whose hobbies and pastimes seem to always involve an incredible amount of equipment and kit friend of mine, he plays hockey. That already comes with a nice, a nice, neat little kit list. He's a goalkeeper. He gets to immediately double his kit list requirements. Not only that, he has the audacity to be a climber. His climbing kit, he's just got a load of kit. Ropes, helmets, a harness. A harness for his six-year-old daughter. Well, if that wasn't enough, he has the audacity to take it further, this equipment friend. He's become a woodworker. Maybe like the rest of the world, he's been watching too much of the repair shop, and he's just taken it on board. He's, he's got saws, he's got drills, he's got clamps of various kinds. He WhatsApped me the full list this week. Uh, it's amazing, he's just got so much equipment. He is my equipment friend. And if that wasn't Enough, a wild craze for smoking your own meat seems to have taken hold in, in the county of Surrey. And so he's just doing that too. Now, he and I, he and I, we disagree strongly on equipment-based hobbies. But I tell you what I can't do. I can't fault him for using it, for using his equipment. The hockey kit is out every Saturday. The climbing gear is covered in mud and dirt from regular use. He continues to build his wife elaborate furniture that I'm very ashamed of. And the shed has an immovable smell of smoked meats. Nothing will hold him back. He uses the tools he's been given for the job. He isn't sitting at home polishing the equipment. He's out there using it. And broadly speaking, that's what Jesus is telling us to do here. You've been given everything you need, so make every effort. Get on with it. Have at it. Go be godly. The faith by which we're saved is one that grows. It is productive. It is productive. It's fruitful. So just have at it. And now much of this list, that list of virtues, requires, I think, a particular difficulty or opposition in order to grow. I... Have a look at something like self-control or perseverance. Clearly, you've got to be tested in order to grow in these things. 
Now, I need to give you an example from my life. The promise that's most important to me in here, or the area in which I most need to grow, is self-control. The promise from the Bible that I often recall in that regard is from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. Previously, I have told you how I get angry. Not out and about in public, but in that worst place, at home, with those closest to me. I've told you previously how in a, a nasty fit of rage, I've taken myself outside and thrown a mug at a wall. Well, I'm pleased to report some progress. The days without throwing crockery are pretty high now. However, self-control will remain something that I continue to need to work on, to add to my faith. It remains a present issue for me now. This is, this is serious. I've noticed it in the way in which I would angrily dress my children, clenching my teeth, or actually just trying to intimidate them to make them afraid of me, such that I, they know I'm being serious. I struggle with self-control. Or an alternative example, I have struggled in recent weeks to bring about goodness, perseverance, and love in my office when the tech layoffs came. You've got that little bit of it going through your mind that's wondering if it's you. You've got people not speaking in the most positive ways about each other, about the management structure, about the organization. And you've got a whole lot of doomsaying. And I don't think I was particularly godly per colleague in those weeks. I can look back on my actions during those weeks and wonder what a more godly approach would have looked like. Here you've got some insight into my day-to-day. Can I encourage you to talk about some of these things in home group in the coming weeks? We've been told, make every effort. So I wonder, I've given you an example from my life. Perhaps you could bring an example from yours to home group in the weeks ahead. Home groups are smaller groups at the church that meet midweek. They're kind of uh, 10 to 15 people often uh, studying the Bible and talking together, helping to grow one another in our faith. Here's a question for you then. What's an area of your life where this list of virtues is calling you to make every effort? Perhaps you could dwell on that. Can you name an area of life where the Lord is calling you to make every effort? What's he putting his finger on? What's the spirit showing you? Can you name it? Can you make it concrete? And would you be willing enough to share one of those at your home group? Often, it's amazing. It just takes one person to get the ball rolling on some actual honesty and then people flourish and all the stories start coming out. Can we go for some heart-level honesty on where the Lord needs to grow us in these areas? Well, one further thought on this uh, part of our passage as we move towards a close. It is pretty stunning that Peter's final words to the church are actually an encouragement to ordinary, everyday godliness. He seems to think that that's the thing the church needs to be getting on with. And he writes that godliness is true productivity and fruitfulness. I need reminding of this. My shelves are filled with self-help management titles like this. Deep work, atomic habits, 
The seven habits of highly effective people. Essentialism, flow. I'm an absolute sucker for management-style self-help books that are going to make me more productive and more effective in my work. I'm an absolute sucker for them. They're always on my Christmas list. I quickly forget from Peter's words that true productivity, that true fruitfulness is godliness, not crunching through tasks or streamlining projects, but godliness. That's what true productivity is. So, if you do these things, that's where it's going next. There is a necessity, having been given everything we need, to actually get on and do. If you do these things, Peter says, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. I take it we saw a little glimpse of what a rich welcome into the kingdom of God looks like when we all clap, cheer, and applaud as Amanda came out of the pool. I think you got a little glimpse of that just then. And that is what we are aiming for. We are called to this godly life so that we show, we demonstrate that we really are followers of Jesus. Jesus put it this way, simply and best, when he said, a tree is known by its fruit. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. And so Peter is saying, there is an if on whether you're going to do this. And we need to make sure that we do. We need to show, demonstrate, the good fruit of what Jesus has done in our lives. Now, here's what I think it looks like in emoji terms, just so that you can have something to go out and remember on. I think it looks something like this. Peter says, hi, you've been given everything you need in the Lord Jesus, in what he's done on the cross. He's given you his great precious promises. So, muscles, make every effort that if you do these things, A rich welcome to the kingdom of God awaits you. If you're already a follower of the Lord Jesus, then let's get on and make every effort. If that's not you, can I encourage you to think about him, to consider him? In the Lord Jesus, you have been given everything you need to enter that kingdom. So make every effort to see that you do.